If this isn't partisan politics, I don't know what is. Holding our elected officials accountable is a job I take extremely seriously. But the impeachment votes today represent the worst of Washington, D.C. Yet another reason my constituents are so disillusioned with the process and disappointed by the 116th Congress. That was Congressman Jack Bergman, who represents Michigan's first district, speaking yesterday about the impeachment process in the U.S. House of Representatives, calling the whole thing an exercise in extreme partisan politics. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you have joined us. We are talking this hour about what the U.S. House did yesterday, impeaching a president of the United States for just the third time in 230 years of our republic. What do you think about that impeachment? What do you think about the whole process that led up to this impeachment, and what do you think is going to happen when these articles move over to the Senate, where there will be a trial of some sort that will be held about these articles and whether the president should be removed. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and participate in the conversation that way. And I want to welcome somebody else to this conversation now to keep thinking about what happened yesterday and what context we want to put it into. Matt Resch is the president and owner of Resch Strategies, a political PR firm in Lansing. Matt, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. I don't know whether to be honored or cursed, because you always seem to have me on on these very <laughs> dicey days. When I, when I can ask you really tough questions and put you in <laughs> uncomfortable positions about it, yeah. <laughs> um, so, first uncomfortable question. Uh, you're a Republican who has been critical of President Trump at times during his tenure in office. I, I wonder what you make, though, of this idea that his behavior at this point rises to the level of impeachment, which is the argument that Democrats, at least in the House of Representatives, are making. You know, I, I have never been one, and I'm not going to be one this morning, to defend the president on really anything he does or says. I think that this process has been inevitable. Um, I think you, you touched on this a little bit uh, when you talked with Senator Stabenow a few minutes ago. I think it, is, it was inevitable in, in two different ways. I think that it was inevitable that uh, Democrats in Congress were so upset with his initial election, and really, I think, an illegitimacy that he that they wrapped around his entire presidency, that, that this was a train that started rolling a long time ago, and that it was going to get to this point at some, at, at some point in time. The other thing that I think is inevitable is that the president was going to give them something that would, let, that would in their minds, give them credibility to go ahead and do it. Um, I think that Every single day he was doing he was doing things, he was acting badly, he was making decisions that gave those on the partisan on his his partisan opponents um, the the ammunition to go forward and I think it was that phone call obviously uh, with the president of ukraine that that really gave them i think what they thought was the smoking gun and, and in the president's own words, the perfect example of why he should be in, impeached. I can quibble with that, and I, I I have more of an issue on the timing. I think that we are in the middle of um, a presidential election we are We are a few weeks away from the first primary elections. Um, we have people on the democratic side uh, you know jockeying to replace the president. I think that election. Is is too close, and I think that a censure from the the, the Congress was probably a, a better bet. 
I'm not going to quibble with the fact that they that they went and pushed for impeachment. It's a it's a political judgment on their part. I just think that the election is, is close enough at this point that the voters are going to have a chance. And and if Democrats are to be believed, and this president is as unpopular and horrible as as they say, then the results uh, next November should be pretty clear, and he should be packing. And I think mm-hmm. that to put the country through this this really charade of a process, I think is, is wasn't isn't certainly going to help kind of. Um, bring anyone together at this point. And I think that just letting it play out over an election cycle would have been a, a more constructive way to go about it. So so I wonder what you make, though, of the behavior here, this phone call with the leader of Ukraine, this ask that he made of the leader of Ukraine. Do you think that stands out among the other things that this president has done that people have thought either went right up to the line or or over the line? I mean, are, are Democrats right that there is a serious and fundamental constitutional issue here? You know, I think that it is who he is, and I don't, I'm not going to defend that. It, he didn't speak any differently in that phone call than he does any given day in a press conference hmm. or with other, with other folks. And I think that, um, you know, he... The, the funds were inevitably were 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 eventually sent. Nothing ever happened um, about the whole thing. And I think you're right. I think the thing that made this stand out was that there was a transcript. That there was something so clear um, in in his own words that he didn't deny. In fact, he continues to call perfect, and that I think he thinks in his mind uh, gets him off the hook. I think it, that was that was what gave this the the fuel uh, the fuel of fire. That there was this kind of his words in a transcript that people could see. And touch. It was really kind of a, that smoking gun moment, I think, that the Democrats needed uh, after kind of the, the fizzle of the Mueller report and some other things that have been talked about over the last few years to kind of give them the, the fuel they needed to push forward. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Stan in Royal Oak. Stan, what's on your mind? Hi. Uh, <clears throat> I have a couple of comments. Um, one, I disagree with Senator Stabenow. Uh, when she expressed a lack of understanding about why um, Trump doesn't appear as a witness, I think it's obvious he's never appeared as a witness because he can't stop lying. And I've actually come to the conclusion that there are times when he doesn't even realize the difference between a lie and the truth. Mm. Um, Second point, um, and this kind of goes to something that your current guest said, um, although I, I do respect him, he sounds like a very reasonable fellow, um, I get so annoyed at the talking points that Republicans use. Number one, that they weren't allowed in the process. And as Senator Stabenow said, of course they were. They were asked questions during the deposition. It was so bad that this morning when the um, former Attorney General of Florida was interviewed on NPR, the the uh, uh, anchor had to interrupt her several times because these are lies. Uh, Republicans were. They didn't get to call all the witnesses they wanted. That part is true, but they were definitely a part of all of the meetings and got to ask questions during the deposition. Last point, and this irks me on the part of your guests, but it also irks me on the part of uh, Democrats, is when they talk about the White House releasing a transcript. 
They did not release a transcript. They released a memorandum of the conversation. And I'm willing to bet money that if they released the whole transcript, everybody in the country would be even more appalled than half the country mm. is now. Mm. So those those are my comments. I do yeah. appreciate your guest because I think he's being uh, um, honest and um, um, <laughs> he's not saying everything that he'd probably say if he wasn't on the radio. But anyway, <laughs> those are my, those are my comments. <laughs> Stan, I appreciate the call and the comments, and and I'll say on Matt Resch's behalf, the reason we have him on the show from time to time is because he is an honest guy, uh, and and he is saying what he what he believes, even if it's uh, maybe not in alignment with what I believe or what uh, the listeners believe. But Matt, I'll give you a chance to respond to what Stan was saying there. Well, I guess I'll tell you this, Stan. I thought the transcript. Well, I thought whatever you want to call it, whatever they released. I thought it was bad enough. I, yeah, that's why I thought it was so funny and, and comical that they that they continued to call it perfect. You know, whether whatever they redacted, whatever they left out, um, it was probably a lot worse. But I thought what they put out was bad enough all by itself. I mean, I think that the the, the whole episode is is Donald Trump in a nutshell. He, he's it was completely motivated and driven by his own self interest. Uh, over a national interest and in that he wanted dirt on his political opponent. And so he was going to put the national interest above or his, his own personal political interest above of the nation's. And I think that obviously, you know, we can debate about whether or not that is an impeachable offense. I think that, like I said, I had no quibbles with the fact that the House that they voted to impeach, that was a, a political judgment that they made. And I don't think that I feel strongly one way or the other that I, I'm going to call them wrong on that. Um, I think that he is just it is it is him. It's the way he's been, and whether he's in office for you know twelve more months or or six five more years, uh, this will be just one more evi- one more piece of evidence as to the personal character the man has. Yeah. Well, and speaking of personal character, of course, when the president was here yesterday in Battle Creek, speaking at a rally. He took a real shot at John Dingell, who is the longest serving congressman in U.S. history and, of course, a very popular person here in the state of Michigan. I, I really thought that in addition to being completely indecent, it, it was a pretty unusual political miscalculation for this president. I mean, this is somebody who I think, despite sort of appearing to shoot off at the mouth, sometimes has been pretty strategic about the way he appeals to his base and gets them excited. You could hear groans in the audience uh, when he said what he said last night, and it's really the first time I've seen that at a, at a Trump rally. You know, and, and I think that it goes to the back to a point where I've thought for a long time that he really doesn't actually understand his base. I think that someone told him who who his base is, and I mean, he's a he's a a New York City elite. He doesn't know anything about his political base. Um, the folks who voted for him, they could not be more different people. I think he thinks he knows. And I think he thinks that that kind of jab is going to be something that the people in that crowd would appreciate. Um, but I think every once in a while, you'll see that he, he, he doesn't. And I think that, that's why I, I'm so, as a Republican, as a conservative Republican, have been so offended by his presidency, because he's not a conservative and he's not a Republican. He's someone who's acting like it because he is playing to what some political, um, some political consultant told him, this is who the base is, these are the things you need to say to appeal to them. He's not one of, he's not a Republican and he's not a conservative, and he has taken the party 
and the people who have long long held beliefs associated with that party and and he is he's trashed it and that's why i'm angry at, at him and one of the many reasons but i think that you're right i think you're right what he said last night was disgusting it was just disgusting and i think he thought he was being cute and clever and you know know the room yeah. and you're standing in a room in michigan and whether or not you agree with john dingle on the policies you need to know i mean saying something about someone like that who's, who's deceased is just disgusting whoever it is and so yeah, I mean, I think it is one just another example of how he doesn't really know what he's what he's what he's saying in the calculations that he that he puts. I think that you are very generous, Stephen, in saying that he is calculated. I mm. think it's all an act. It's mm. all an, by accident. So, that so he says anything. So I wonder, as a as a Republican and somebody who still thinks of themselves as a Republican, what you think the strategy ought to be inside the party to go in a different direction. I mean, one of the things that is, is, is really being hotly debated right now is what role Senate Republicans ought to play in this impeachment process and whether there is a message to be sent to this president from that party about the things that he's doing that, as you say, are destroying the very idea of conservatism and republicanism. Yeah, I don't. I don't envy the position that Senator McConnell is is in, or any any member of Congress, because they're in this really tough spot where they know that <clears throat> there are folks at home who are adamant supporters of the president, and speaking out is to do so at their own political peril, because there are folks who are going to be upset about them. And I think that this is not something that is probably going to happen for the party quickly. It's going to be kind of a a rehabilitation that's going to have to take place over some time, and after he's gone. I don't know how it can happen while he is still the president, whether, again, whether that's for another year or whether it's for another five. Um, but it's, it's not going to be something that can be done uh, while he is kind of has this kind of hero status amongst a, a huge base of, of the party. And I, that, I don't know what the answer is, quite honestly, to that question, other than to say that we need to find people who can rally the kind of the sentiment and inspire people to be a part of the party, but to do so in a way that I think we all, for as Republicans, think back with the character and the stature and the, the, just the personal, the personal instincts and characteristics that we can respect. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Denise in Brighton. Denise, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Uh, one of the more frustrating points about this entire impeachment process from the perspective of an attorney, which I am, is that the Democrats have been a, done a very, very poor job of explaining uh, that the president is not entitled to any due process in the impeachment part of the impeachment and removal process. And the Republicans have constantly, constantly harped on the president's uh, lack of due process protection in the impeachment inquiry. The problem with that is that they're deliberately misleading the public. I, I have no problem with Republicans disagreeing with the fact that he should be impeached, but I think it is absolutely wrong and immoral to mislead their constituents and the public by saying the president hasn't received due process protection. The impeachment process is an indictment. So, mm -hmm. for example, if you're getting, if you're being criminally charged, Okay, that's because somebody's done an investigation on you at the at the you know prosecutorial uh, DA you know police level, and then they send those charges to 
um, the prosecutor. The prosecutor prosecutes those in trial, and that is where a criminal defendant with an attorney, with a judge, with a jury is entitled to due process protection mm-hmm. and their defense. So I, it's just very, very frustrating mm. to hear Republicans constantly misleading the public and saying the president hasn't gotten any due process. The Senate trial is where he will get his due process, assuming that happens. And the Democrats have done a miserable job of, of, of not explaining of that part. Really it's been explaining a little frustrating. That. Yeah, Denise, I really appreciate the call and your sure. and your thoughts there. And, and I think you're right that, that this process has not been as unfair as it has been portrayed. But I also agree with you that Democrats have done a lousy job of explaining what they're doing and why and why it's not all that unusual. Matt Resch, you said earlier that you thought this process was a mess. Talk about why. Well, I think she raises a good point. And I, I think politics is, you know, this isn't illegal. What happened in the, in the House is not, a, is not a court trial. It's not a, it's not a legal pr- uh, pr- proceeding. And I think that the Democrats played into, I think, a misconception amongst the vast majority of the American public who assume that it is by, by not clarifying that. I mean, optics are a big thing in politics. Perception is more important than reality very often. And the fact that many people believe this to be some sort of legal proceeding, even though it's not, the Democrats did a really poor job in, in doing that. I mean, it, it's like we're, we're, we're going into the Christmas season. It almost feels like they, they ran this like a Christmas sale, like we'll get your impeachment done before the holidays and we'll, we'll rush this through when we've got this all planned out. And, you know, hey, look, it's, it's, we're done by Christmas. And I think that it, for a lot of people who were, are not in, not in this on a daily basis, and I think that's an important thing to remember, Stephen. You and I are, are unique, and I think some of, and many of your listeners are unique in that we pay attention to this stuff every day, and most people don't. And I was talking with just colleagues yesterday who admittedly said, what's happening? Is something happening today with this impeachment thing? And these are folks who work in and around Lansing who just, they're not following it. I mean, again, like to the point I made at the beginning, I think most people viewed it as an inevitability, something that was going to happen, um, and that, you know, it's not going to change. We don't feel any different today than we did yesterday, and we're not going to feel any different tomorrow. And life goes on. I've I've likened a lot of, I was thinking this, this morning before I came on, this whole process reminds me of when my wife and I are driving around with my two kids. And, you know, my, my boys in the back seat have no bearing on where the car is going. And my wife and I are kind of the American public, the economy, you know, where the country is going. We're getting us where we need to go. Inevitably, one of them will, like, poke the other one and do something to make the other one mad. <laughs> and then the one who's innocent, rather than just sitting there until we do deal, deal with the kid who's doing something wrong, punches back. <laughs> and now they're, now they're fighting. Now they're both in trouble. And so I think Donald Trump can't keep out of his own way. He's constantly making problems for himself. But at the same time, the Democrats just can't sit down and be quiet and let him, let him make a fool of himself. Let him be the disaster that he is. They have to go punch back. And now what they've done is they've made it this big fight that everyone's disgusted by, everyone is tired of, and no one wants to pay attention to because they just see that it's, it doesn't impact their lives back home. It's not going to do anything for them. It's not going to affect their Christmas, their holidays. They're moving on, and they just know that D.C. is being D.C. I mean, I, I get that from a political pr- perspective, and, and as you're talking about perception and, and the way in which uh, policymakers communicate with, with the public about what they're, what they're doing, but, but isn't there a, a greater principle at stake here? I mean, it, it, given the things that you 
say are true about this president, don't Democrats have an obligation to stand up and say, well, th- this is this is not OK. This is a line you cannot cross. I, and I'll be I'll put on my cynical hat. I think if they're to be believed, sure. Yeah, that's something if this if they truly believe this is a, a, a line that cannot be crossed. But this is D.C. This is politics. They're all politicians. And I don't they'll say that. But I think what this is, it's about partisan gain. And it's about power gain. And so this process, if they didn't think this was going to get them some sort of partisan gain or gain in power or in Congress, they wouldn't be doing it. Um, I had a there was a dinner here in Lansing a few weeks back where Congressman Kildee and Congresswoman Slotkin were were speaking. And they they both very, very frankly, were talking about how corrupted the conversation is in D.C. And how people talk in talking points and they don't actually say what they feel. And it was such a refreshing conversation to hear these two members of Congress moderated by a staunch Republican uh, person having an honest conversation about how things are and and lamenting how in D.C. you can't just say what you what you feel. And then the very next day I turned on CNBC and Congressman Kildee is using the exact same talking points that he was lamenting 12 hours before at the dinner. And it was a perfect example of, of how I don't think people, you know, look at D.C. and they see this is just this is dysfunction. And so, sure, I'm sure there are people and there are members of the Democratic Party in the House and the Senate who feel they are standing up for some principle. I think that they are driven by politics, though. And I think that and I say that on both sides, the, the Republicans who are defending the president are driven by politics as much as the Democrats who are defending the impeachment process. And I don't think that either side can say with any credibility that they're doing anything other than that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about impeachment. We're going to have Matt Resch stay with us on the next segment when we want to talk about the effect of this impeachment on Michigan's congressional delegation. What will this mean for people like Alyssa Slotkin and Haley Stevens, Gary Peters or John James? And we want to keep you on the phones as well. Tom in Northwest Detroit, John on the east side, Liz in Macomb. We will get to you in the next segment as well. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Donald J. Trump has abused and violated the public trust by using his high office to solicit the aid of a foreign power, not for the benefit of the United States of America, but instead for his personal and political gain. His actions reflect precisely the type of conduct the framers of the Constitution intended to remedy through the power of impeachment, and it is our duty to impeach him. That was Congressman Justin Amash, an independent now from the west side of the state, talking about impeachment and the process of of impeachment in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're talking about impeachment this hour and what it means, what it means going forward in the Senate, what it means going forward into 2020. The election year, the presidential election year, whether Donald Trump will 
maybe be harmed uh, during the election. His chances of being reelected could be harmed by the fact that he was impeached or could it strengthen the president's base? Could it make people who support him uh, come out in even larger numbers to make that clear next year? As always, we want to uh, hear from you about what you think about impeachment. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter and comment there. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. And I've got Matt Resch, president and owner of Resch Strategies, a political PR firm in Lansing, with us to dissect what is going on. Uh, Matt, I want to I want to talk about uh, Justin. Let's start with Justin Amash, who is now an independent, but was elected as a Republican to serve in, in Congress. This is somebody who has been a really consistent and staunch critic of uh, President Trump uh, along many of the same lines that, that you have been critical of the president. What do you think it means for Justin Amash that he is now kind of on the side of Democrats, at least on this issue? Is that going to make it tough in that Grand Rapids, West Michigan district to get reelected? I, I think it is probably going to be tough for Justin. I, I think the world of him, I, I have for a long time, even before even before the, this and, and his <clears throat> outspoken um, comments about about the president and impeachment. I, I think that it will only because a third party candidate, no matter who it is, is always tough because you you lack the the party the party apparatus on either side to to again provide that that key support and, and ground game that you need to run a race. And I think there are certainly going to be Republicans who who agree with with Justin, and there are going to be many more who who disagree. I think where he's going to run into problems is that I think that most Democratic um, voters who probably agree with him and respect him for speaking out and and standing up are probably not going to carry that kind of admiration with them to the ballot box and vote for him over a Democrat. Um, if it were uh, if it were just an independent versus a Republican, I think that maybe there would be a different story, but because he's going to have to get votes um, from Dem- Democrats and Republicans, that's going to be a tough spot because I think neither part, neither of the partisans on either side, the hardcore partisans on Democrat, the Democratic side or the Republican side, are going to um, are going to go to Justin. And I think that they're just it's just a numbers game. Then are there enough people then? who are going to be willing to, to vote for him. Yeah. I, th- I, I hope they do. I hope they do. What about Alyssa Slotkin and Haley Stevens, two members of Congress who flipped Republican districts in 2018, made them Democratic for the first time in a really long time? They both made a lot of the, the, the choice that they were making, that they were being deliberate about that choice, not just reacting or falling in line. Does that buy them truck, perhaps, with with – constituents in their district who still might think of themselves as Republicans? You know, I, I don't think so. I think they're probably going to be, they're going to have a tough go. And I, 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 again, a lot of this is going to depend on who the Democrats nominate um, for their presidential uh, choice, because I think that is going to drive motivation in voters um, a great deal. I think we saw, we saw what happened when the Democrats did not nominate someone who inspired inspired much enthusiasm in Hillary Clinton. We have Donald Trump as a result. And I think that that both um, Slotkin and Stevens are going to, their futures will in large part be dictated on, on what kind of enthusiasm there is at the top of the ticket. I was surprised, quite honestly, to see 
um, the turnout at uh, Congresswoman Slotkin's town hall the other day, mm-hmm. um, really the, the vocal uh, turnout in opposition. I, I was surprised. I, I did not know that that was going to happen uh, when she announced that she when she kind of said she was had made up her mind. That gives me some that gives me some pause in thinking that she would that she would have an easier election. I think you know right now it's hard to say because we don't know who's going to be running against either of these two folks, um, and that will have a big that will play obviously a big a big role. And, you know, I live in, in Congresswoman Slotkin's districts. So I'm, I'm much more familiar with her. I think she's done a really, a really good job in incumbency over the last year and a half to, to kind of do the things, to raise the money, to be in the community and to, to create goodwill. Um, I think whether or not it's, a, it's another run by Congressman Bishop or someone else, uh, we'll have to wait and see. I think that they're going to they're going to be the Michigan primary day is going to be a big day for both of them mm-hmm. um, and those primaries to see who who's going to be at the top of the ticket and are they going to have to pull the dead weight of Bernie Sanders and 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 Elizabeth Warren or are they going to have someone who might be at the top who's going to be able to kind of get those those middle the, middle of the road independent voters uh, to the polls and vote for a Democrat. Yeah, I will I'll also say that at Slotkin's. Uh, meeting town hall uh, meeting there, there were there were people there protesting but they were a distinct minority i mean there were probably 15 or 20 of them and there were hundreds of people in the hall and a lot of the people in the hall seemed to be reacting to the protesters kept telling them to be quiet i mean they were trying to drown her out as she was talking uh, I, I i don't know i mean i i think town halls are hard to to read in terms of what they say about voters but uh, but she had a lot of support at that mm-hmm. uh, at that rally as well. So um, so I guess well, we'll I, have to and see. I can speak as someone who's kind of in the. I mean, I I literally live inside the Lansing bubble, uh-huh. and she's very popular within with with folks here. And I think that she has she has made a lot of um, she's taken a lot of steps to 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 meet with folks who are outside of kind of her political her political base mm-hmm. and and reach out. And I think that she's positioned herself pretty well. Mm. Uh, let's get back to the phones here. Let's go to Liz in Macomb. Liz, what's on your mind? You there, Liz? Hi, Stephen. Hi, Liz. Go ahead. Um, so I just, um, with everything that has happened yesterday, both my husband and I are Democrats. Um, and whether Trump actually, he obviously probably won't get removed from office, but um, some of the thoughts that I had um, of the last year impact that this impeachment will be making in the future, um, I just think about how, you know, when growing up in school and we learned about Nixon, we have this unbiased view and understand what he did was terrible. Mm-hmm. And I feel that um, with uh, everything that's happened with Trump right now that we're living in this time, we have obviously very divided views, um, whether you're right or left. And it's very biased in the way that we see Trump's, uh, the mm. way that he's acting. Mm. And some may make excuses saying that, oh, you know, what he's doing, uh, Democrats are going against him or whatever it may be. But uh, 20 or 30, 40 years from now, um, you know, when students learn about this in school, because <laughs> this is such a historical moment, right. they may see mm. this as Trump being, well, he actually was a terrible president. Mm. Yeah, Liz, I think that's a really interesting point, this idea that what we're doing now or what we're witnessing now will be looked at differently by people 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. Matt, I wonder what you make of the historic context for this, just the third president in 230 years to actually be impeached by the House of Representatives. Well, you know, I think 
I think answering that question requires us to to figure out whether or not things will be different after he's gone. Hmm. You know, this is a this is a new thing for everyone, and I think that that her question assumes that things will go back to normal, or at least wait, go back to the way things were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know is that is that going to happen? Is this the new normal? Is this our new politics? Um, I certainly hope not, but I don't see at the same time anything that looks like it's going to change it. And so will this be in 40 years, this watershed event, the third president that is impeached? Or in 40 years, will he be the first of the next 15 presidents who will have been impeached? Because our part, our politics have become so partisan and so poisonous that it becomes a standard thing because oh, the House is Democrat and the Republic, and the president is Republican, or vice versa, and so we don't like something that they did, and so we're going to impeach them. I can't predict how that's going to go. I certainly hope that we can get back to a point where we look back at these last four or five years and think that this was a, a dark period of divisive politics where people decided to get in fights over Thanksgiving dinner, over politics <laughs> that really have no, have no bearing on their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. I really hope that we can look back and that that's, this is an anomaly. But I can't say that with the way that, that Twitter and social media and our conversations have, have evolved, or I should say devolved, over the, this presidency and over this, these political campaigns over the last number of years, that we're going to think that this is weird in 40 years. This might just be the first, and I hope that's not the case, but I, that'll be something that we need to see. Okay. Matt Resch, president and owner of Rush Strategies, a political PR firm in Lansing. It is always really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. Thanks, anytime. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to start playing the podcast, uh, the second season of Created Equal, <clears throat> which takes a look at the Flint water crisis and Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha's book, What the Eyes Don't See. Tomorrow, you'll hear from Dr. Mona herself and from Representative Dan Kildee of Flint. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.